Welcome to HEQ&A, the podcast of History of Education Quarterly. I'm your host, HEQ co-editor Jack Schneider. Every few weeks, we'll dive into recent work from the journal, asking authors how their projects challenge or extend what we know about a topic, exploring what's interesting and surprising about it, and then taking a step back to consider broader implications. In the second half of the show, we turn our sights to teaching, so if you're an educator, make sure to stick around until the end. And now, let's hear from one of our authors. So I'm Sara backman and I'm an historian of education in Uppsala, Sweden. And I'm the author of this article titled Armed School Mistress, Loneliness, Male Violence and the Work and Living Conditions of Early 20th Century Female Teachers in Sweden. And I'm Jonas Westberg, a full professor of theory and history of education at the University of Schroningen in the Netherlands. And also the author of Armed School Mistress, Loneliness, Male Violence, and Living Conditions of Early 20th Century Female Teachers. Our article is about female teachers in rural Sweden in the first decades of the 20th century. And they were in a particularly vulnerable position, living in really isolated areas and often without neighbors. And this was a well-known problem being debated in newspapers and by politicians. During the same period, female teachers also struggled with their professional position in terms of salaries, status, education, and so on. In our article, we examine the work and living conditions of these female teachers in rural Sweden, focusing on their experiences of loneliness, harassment, and violence that they suffered. So we analyzed the debate in newspapers and magazines, and also the political debate in the Swedish parliament. By doing so, we can see how the problem was defined and given public attention and how the actual problem was, of course, linked to their isolation. One of the real threats was violent men bypassing men. Another problem was fear these teachers had to live with. For many of them, of course, got worse with the lack of social contacts in the countryside. We can also see how the debate revolved around really practical solutions for these teachers, like getting tenants or providing telephones. Another solution was to provide them with the weapons, actually. And this solution was actually realized in many parts of Sweden. And we also have some people advocated guard dogs instead of weapons. In our article, we also have uh, included a photo of a young female teacher with her guard dog, so you can see. Well, we didn't know much about it, despite the fact that it was a big part of the public debate on teachers. It's also interesting how almost all suggested solutions to the problem were really practical. It really focused on the everyday life of these female teachers and how to improve their living conditions in their houses and how it was such a large part of the debate uh, in newspapers. We were surprised to find uh, all this kind of information and all this kind of data on how female teachers really struggled to improve their conditions. And it felt like quite uh, curious how how they really suggested this very specific kinds of solutions uh, using watchdogs, uh, 
using guns and so forth. I think it's quite interesting how the emotions of the, these teachers was used as an argument, however, not by the teachers themselves. Uh, we can see how newspapers, uh, how they describe the conditions of the rural teachers and, and their depression and anxiety were really strong in, in these debates, also persistent arguments. So we can see, kind of see how emotions fueled public and political debate. So the arguments that uh, legitimized the debate were reflections of the teachers' emotions, although the solutions were practical. It is interesting to see this as a case of an international phenomenon, international structures and processes, because during the 19th century and early 20th century, the teaching profession was feminized. More and more female teachers were employed in schools by local school districts and so forth. And I find it really interesting to see how this article really kind of explores what happens when a profession is feminized. And we can then see also what this process entailed for women who started to work in school in the Swedish rural countryside. I think first and foremost, we, we contribute to this research that has dealt with the living and working conditions of female teachers and their kind of social position and status in rural areas. And I think it is interesting how we kind of contribute to the literature by showing that there was not only a gender gap in terms of wages, but also some kind of emotional gender gap between men and female teachers, indicated by these female teachers' experiences of loneliness and fear. And apart from this, I also find it interesting kind of how female teachers then did not only have to kind of fight for raised wages, better living and working conditions, but also had to fight for their mental status, for, for their mental and physical uh, security. And I can also add that I think this is interesting also from a contemporary perspective, because this study addresses issues uh, that still sometimes is debate regarding the status of teachers and not the least the vulnerability of female teachers. So we can provide a historical perspective on them, some kind of current debates. The second half of the show is dedicated to thinking about teaching. We ask authors to put on their guest lecturer hats and take students into the weeds. What should they pay attention to, methodologically speaking? What else should they be reading if they want to take a deep dive into the historiography? And where are there opportunities for further research? I think students should pay attention to how we use different sources, both newspapers and political uh, documents, protocols from the Swedish parliament. And I think it was really important for, for us to do so, to get a, this broader understanding of how the public debate uh, evolved during the, these decades. I really think that this article indicates how you can use some kind of educational journal, teacher's journal, and this kind of parliamentary records, not only to study educational policy, but you can also use them to get certain insights into the everyday life of teachers. So I think in that sense, it perhaps it's an example of a broadened use of 
uh, these categories of source materials. And we also had a bit of a luck when, during the pandemic now, because in Sweden it's all digitalized in many <laughs> newspapers and, and the political records. So that was uh, good for us, for our research. Well, first, I would like to recommend James Albizetti's The Feminization of Teaching in the 19th Century. It's really crucial for this article. Yes, and apart from uh, James Albizetti's work, uh, I think uh, the edited volume by Patricia Schmuck on Women Educators, printed in 1987, is a great book to read. And more recently, Geraldine Clifford's uh, Those Good Gertrudes, which is a very extensive monograph that I think can inspire many readers. I would really encourage students to take a step into the history of emotions when doing their research. I think uh, it could be really interesting and that particular perspective is not used to any great extent in the history of education. So I think it might be fruitful. And I also think that uh, there are still plenty of opportunities to, to deal with almost like classic topics like changing status of teachers and changing wage structures, gender gaps in wages and so forth. And not least using this kind of source materials because uh, as I think our article can indicate this use of educational journals, it's a very a great source if you want to, to get to know early 20th century teachers uh, better. To learn more, check out History of Education Quarterly Online. The journal is published by Cambridge University Press, and it's carried by most academic libraries. You should also be sure to follow HEQ's Twitter handle, at HistEdQuarterly, which regularly sends out free, read-only versions of articles, and the show's Twitter handle, at HEQ&A. And don't forget, subscribe to the show so you don't miss forthcoming episodes. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. HEQ&A is produced at the University of Massachusetts Lowell. Our producer is Jennifer Berkshire, and our theme music is by Ryan Shaw. I'm Jack Schneider. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>